Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 13. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. When I was 19 years old, I for the first time heard about a concept that I had never heard. Even though I grew up in what was considered a missionary Baptist church, I had never heard about unreached people groups. I had never heard about 
peoples of the world who had never heard about Jesus and never had access to the gospel message, didn't have churches, didn't have the scripture in their language, didn't have pastors, evangelists, missionaries. And so um, when I was 19 years old, I heard about this. And I was actually shocked by it and wondered what it would take in order for that to be something that was no more. And how we as Christians, we as the church, were to go about reaching these people. And what that meant for global evangelization and for people to be reached. And so I began to research, began to study what that meant, what it looked like, what did, what did the scriptures say about missions, all these kinds of things. And so when I was 21 years old, this was in the year 2000, after we discovered that Y2K actually didn't implode the earth and all that, um, that God had called me to one of those people groups. And I moved as a young man to West Africa and lived among a unreached people group there, uh, just sharing the gospel with them, learning their language, living in their culture. And I actually lived in a village, no electricity, no running water, and just living among... That's, that's actually a really quick way to learn a language, by the way, is when no one speaks English and you live among them. And if you want to drink or eat, you will learn the language quickly. Well, I actually shared a bed with uh, the chief of the village. And so I also quickly learned the language, too, when he would tell me every night, like, slide over, you know. And we would talk and have these conversations. And so I was learning language through that. Well, there was a period of time while I was living there, and this is in West Africa, that I was contacted to come into this one specific village that some folks wanted to meet with me. So I go to that village, and um, I'm about 22 at this point because I had a birthday while I was there. And I get to this village, and there's this hut. And inside this hut, there's a group of men. And so I go into the hut, and I sit down with them, and they say to me, we want you to teach us the scriptures. We want you to show us from Genesis to Revelation what God's word means. We want you to train and disciple us and how to reach our people with the gospel. And I will say I choked. I had no idea what to do. And I had no idea why they were looking to me and why they were asking me for that. And it's not the greatest, proudest moment, but I was not able to do it. I didn't know. I didn't know how to teach the scriptures. I didn't know how to disciple men, pastors, African pastors. And so I walked away from that hut that day telling those men, I can't help you. I don't know what to do. But I also walked away with a determination that I would figure this out, that I would spend my life learning how to train and equip the church to reach the nations. So I moved back to the United States, started seminary, married my wife, and started a process of learning how and developing a way to build the church throughout the world. And this is exactly what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians. As we're walking through and studying Ephesians this summer, 
we're actually looking at a manual for how the church is to be established. What Paul is wanting to show the church, what God is trying to teach Christians through the book of Ephesians, is what it looks like for the church to be missionaries. Because that's ultimately what our calling is. In, uh, the, at the end of chapter 2, we saw that the, the book of Ephesians says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The good works that He is specifically going to lay out for us becomes a vision and a statement for the church. It becomes a blueprint for how the church is to exist in this world. And so some of you've probably seen this, we've been talking about it, but it shows itself in a pillared building. So that's going to come up on the screen here, and you're going to be able to see what this is looking at, what we're talking about. So the church is held up by these pillars on the foundation of the gospel. This is what we've been talking about in Ephesians 1 and 2. This idea of foundational belief that the church is built on the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus died in our place for our sins. But He didn't stay dead. That He rose again. And then He commissioned the church to go forth and to spread His message. And so this makes a great transition point for the book of Ephesians. This is what we're going to walk through for the rest of the summer, is looking at how the church exists with this blueprint that Ephesians lays out for us, and how we exist in community, how we exist on mission, and how we develop disciples, how we become disciples ourselves, how we are discipled, and how the church makes disciples. So as we look at this, the good works that were prepared beforehand for us to do, we understand in the first part of the book that it's not talking about these good works lead us to salvation. See, it's, it's not that way. The gospel that's produced in us by the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf then propels or compels the church to go out on mission. John Piper would say, if you want to see the fruit of the gospel, examine the root of the gospel, which is our justification found in Jesus Christ. The imputation of Christ's righteousness to me. God gave us a righteous standing through Jesus Christ and imputed, pushed it in, pressed that into me. He gave us Christ's righteous standing. And because of that, it causes us to be justified before God, which leads to a progressive growth in our understanding of the gospel, which produces the fruit of the gospel, which in this case is gospel mission. It's found in, in, in union with Christ alone. Not through the fruit do we attain salvation, but through Christ. But then Christ establishes work for us to do. That's the mission of the church. So God's first prepared work for the church is Christ's reconciled church. That's the first thing. It's the church established here. There's a vertical and a horizontal purpose to Christ's death. We are reconciled to God through Christ. But then we are reconciled to each other through Christ. He's, in effect, restoring 
what was taking place in the Garden of Eden, where relationship with God was broken, relationship with humanity was broken, and the relationship with the creation was broken, is being restored in Christ. And so we see that. We look down, we dig down into this, and we look at this passage that was read. We look at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles... Let's stop there for a second. That word Gentiles is the Greek word ethne, okay? Where we get our word ethnic. It's talking about peoples, people groups, the nations. The Bible will often translate it nations or Gentiles. Now, I've said this before at Waypoint. I think there might be just one or two in our midst who actually have ethnic Israeli roots. Now think for a second. How many of us are ethnic Israelis? A couple of you. Yeah. Erica and David. <laughs> Any others, maybe? Okay, there's one. Excellent. So we have a few in our midst. I'm not. Therefore, I am a Gentile. I am part of the nations. If the gospel wasn't sent to the nations, I would never have heard it. At one time, my people group, whoever they were, my ethnicity, whatever it is, was an unreached people group. God sent the gospel to the nations so that people like me and all of us, most of us in this room, would hear it that we might be reconciled to Christ. So therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, called that, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, I was at that time, separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God. So what I was, what we were, what the nations were, were alienated nations. We were far off. Verses 11 and 12 show us that. Acts 2.39, it says, For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Verse 12, we're separated. We're without Christ in this world. The nations are separated and without Christ. Alienated, the Scriptures say, or without a family. The nations exist, unreached people groups exist in this world, separated from God, alienated from the family of God. In verse 12, strangers or hopeless. That's what we were. But in Christ, it all changes to who we are when we're found in Him. Look at this, verses 13 through 18. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Who we were? Alienated and far off, strangers, without hope. Who we are now in Jesus Christ, the church is found as reconciled rebels who've been brought near, no longer far off. But now, now a few weeks ago, we were looking at Ephesians 2, and it says, but God, being rich in mercy, and I said, here's the Bible, it's got a big but, okay? And here's another big but in the Bible. Now, my kids came home asking me why I stood on the stage and said that the Bible had a big but. And I said to them, you thought I said big but, but I actually said big but. I didn't say big but, and you were thinking I said that, but I actually said big but. So just make sure you understand that I say, when I say that the Bible has a big butt, that I'm talking about butt, not butt, okay? <laughs> so, here in chapter 2, we see another big butt. This is awesome news for us. When you see a big butt in the Bible, it's good news. Because we were far off, but now we are brought near through the blood of Christ. This is good news to us because we were alienated. But now we've been brought into the family of God. We were separate and without Christ, but now we have been brought to peace with Christ. Christ unifies through the blood of the Messiah in verse 13. In His flesh, it says in verse 14, His flesh was broken for us. Through the cross in verse 16 is how this, this transpired. And then it says he tore down the dividing wall. This is temple language. You know, us Gentiles couldn't even enter the temple. There was a separate place for us. We weren't even able to participate in the worship of God. It was reserved for Jews alone. The Holy of Holies was reserved for one Jew, one cleansed Jew, one time per year, the high priest. The next level of the temple was reserved for other Jews. But Gentiles? No. And this is why Jesus was so distraught when He came and He found the temple in disrepair when He was on the earth. What did He find? He found people selling goods, right? And He was so struck by this. This is so wrong. You know where the market was set up? It was in the court of the Gentiles. It's not even at that point, they didn't even think that this place is a place for the nations. This was a place for those who are chosen in God only, at that point, the Jewish nation, and Gentiles were kept out. That would have been me. If I was in Jerusalem during that time, I would not have been able to enter the temple. We think about that. For a second here. But this is temple language. He says he tore down the dividing wall. In Jesus Christ, all of us have access. There's no more need for the temple. There's no more need for the Holy of Holies, for the altar, for the high priest. Jesus is all of that for us. He is our temple, He is our high priest. He tears down the dividing wall. And it's not talking about 
that veil that was torn. You see, he did, he did on the cross accomplish that we actually have access to God. That's why the veil in the temple was torn. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the next level. That now the Gentiles, we Gentiles now walk into the Holy of Holies through the blood of Christ, our one-time sacrifice made for us all. And this is amazing how this happens. So Jew and Gentile now have the same hope. We now are able to be one through Christ's atoning death. So diversity in the church is a demonstration of the work of Christ. And we look around at Waypoint Church and we celebrate and are excited about the diversity of the nations, the diversity of culture that come together and that the gospel brings reconciliation together. The gospel brings us hope. And so we can celebrate as the nations because we all are a part of the nations. We all are a part of Christ's work bringing us together. And the main way to continue to cultivate this diversity, Waypoint Church, is through a proclamation of a true gospel. A proclamation of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ to a humanity that understands that the entire human race is a fallen race and in need of grace. And when Jesus' blood is applied, grace, unity, mercy, love all exist. And we come together all the same with a hope. So you saw that pillar building. You saw how that was working. And then you see these, new, these arrows. All of this is interconnected. How God is using the church to do His work in this way. And so what we're going to do, and you can kind of look at that and say, all right, I can kind of figure out where Pastor Josh is going in his next several sermons. All right? We're going to look at these pillars. We're going to dive into what this means. Because if, if we believe the gospel message of reconciliation to all the nations, then we're going to zoom in on that one orange pillar there that says mission. Okay? And we're going to, we're going to hone in on this. Because here's what's happening. God's second prepared work that He did beforehand is the reconciling mission of the church. That the church would be on mission together. That the church would be engaging. That, that the nations who are reconciled in Christ would be engaging the nations that are not reconciled in Christ. And this is the mission. And, and, and this is really fascinating. If you, if you think back a few weeks ago to a sermon where we saw that in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, there was this concept of using this Greek um, prefix called S-Y-N, like where we get our word sync or synchronized. Okay, these words had a, were made alive, synced with Christ. With is the word, the Greek prefix sin. With we're made alive with Christ. We're raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ. We're synchronized with Christ in the gospel. That actually comes back again. That language is going to be used again. That prefix is going to be used here again. It reminds me of the '90s band In Sync. All right, and that song "Bye Bye Bye" that they sang. All right, terrible. Just terrible. I mean, Justin Timberlake was in that band in the 90s. Some of you weren't alive. All right? In Christ, he says, you know, this song, Bye, 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 saying bye to sin. I'm just kidding. It's not saying that at all. It's not even close. All right? 
uh, my wife and I were talking. I got confused. I thought she was an NSYNC fan, but she was actually a New Kids on the Block fan. So I, got to, I just get my boy bands confused a little bit. And so then we introduced our kids to Hanson. Remember that? All right. So, yes, I am an old guy. And old guys rule. All right. So let's look at these where the Greek really brings in this idea of being in sync again. And so in these words, verse 19, look at this. Well, let, let's back up. Let's, get, let's go back to where he broke down the wall of hostility in verse 14. Let's look at verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments, commandments expressed in ordinances. That's the gospel. All right? We don't follow the law. We follow grace. And the, and the grace of Jesus Christ compels us to good works. That's what he's talking about. He, may, he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's amazing. There's no hostility among the nations in Christ. There's no... You know, he's, he's, what he's doing is he's killing racial bigotry across ethnic lines and bringing unity in the cross of Jesus Christ. And in verse 17, And He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Peace to you who are far off, Gentiles, me. Peace to you who are near, those who are in here who are Israeli. We praise God that He still preaches the Gospel to you as well. And it is for all people. Bringing unity. And then He goes on to say, uh, verse 18, For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer, no longer, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Members. Here's that word. Here's the first time that in sync comes back in. Okay? It's this word sympolitai. Sympolitai. Where you get our word together and city. The mission of the church is to make new citizens, new members of the heavenly kingdom in verse 19. So God is sending the church out the citizenship of the kingdom out to bring in new citizens. Hey, we have a city of refuge called the church for the sinners of the world and the nations of the world. Here's a free passport. It's found in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the city of God. The church's mission is to build a new city. Sympolitai, that we're no longer alienated, but we're citizens of Christ's kingdom. There is no second class citizen. There is no lower caste. There is no understanding of race relations where someone's superior and someone's inferior. We're brought together in line with Christ in a spirit of love. The church's mission of reconciliation is to make citizens of the kingdom aware of their citizenship status as ambassadors of the king in a kingdom with no end. So where you live, where you work, where you go to hang out, those are your places to be a kingdom citizen and to proclaim that there is a city for you. He goes on to say, we're members, that's that word, we're members of the household of God, we're creating a new citizenship. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is where we talked about a few weeks ago the absolute authority and inerrancy of Scripture gives us the foundational hope that this message is true. And when we believe this, we have what we need for our understanding of who Christ is, the character of God, and the mission of the church. So they move on. Verse 21, it says, In Christ Jesus, verse 21, in whom, it's referencing Jesus, the whole structure being joined together. That's our next word, joined together. It's sinarmolego. I don't know how to say it, but anyway, sinarmologeo, okay? We get our word mono in there. It's a oneness, all right? This idea of coming together, the mission to join the family together. That's what this word, complicated word that I can't say, means. It's coming together. Family reunions have issues, right? Okay? Every time we get together, this is our family reunion. We are family. Problems and all, we're still a family. Sin struggles and all, we're in it together. If I'm struggling with sin, the church is struggling with sin because we're all together. We're all one in Christ. We're all here to help each other. And that's that other pillar, community. And we'll get to that later as we study Ephesians. So we're unified family. And who's our dad? God. God is our Father. And that's what brings the unity. Now look, this is where we can go off on these really awesome understanding of doctrine we talk about adoption and identity our adopted status in christ our adopted status into god's family is forever it doesn't change you don't adopt a kid and be like i didn't realize what i was getting all right we don't do that god loves us as we are god accepts us and loves us he died for us he's willing to keep us But then our identity, our identity becomes in Christ. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? My identity is found there. So the church is not an event. The church is not a building. The church is a family. Living life together to fulfill the mission of our King Jesus and our Heavenly Father. All right. Now, this, that Greek word that I can't say, but this idea of joining the family, making the family one, is going to be used again in chapter 4, verse 16, when he says, from which the whole body joined, that's the word, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. She's going to continue that idea and that theme, and that's where we're going to talk about community. Now, you go on, verse 21, he says, we're going to be joined together. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord. So he's eradicated the, the temple in Jerusalem in order to build a new temple. The church, not this building. Us. All of us. And it, it hangs on the corner of Jesus, being the cornerstone. If, that, if you remove that, it's just going to collapse. Because then we're just a social club. Built on the cornerstone of Jesus, this building survives and is built. 
And then it goes on to say, verse 22, in him you also are being built together. There's another one. It sounds like Cinco de Mayo. All right. It's, it's Sinoico Domeo. Okay. Now I say these words not because you can clearly tell. I'm not trying to brag. I can't even say them. But there are words in English that we use. Sink we use and oikodomeo, that's actually a word that Paul made up. He's notorious for this. He's notorious for run-on sentences and making up new words. All right? And so, sin oikodomeo, the word oiko, oikos and domeo, it's, it's words for houses. These are, and we use it now, domestic. Okay? Domestic. So he's saying the mission of the church in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The mission is to build your oikos into a domeo. Now I'm going to explain what that means. Okay? Domeo is the Greek word for house. Oikos is the Greek word for house. So he's saying you build your house into a house. In other words, build the house of God into a bigger house of God. That's the mission of the church. Making new citizens, joining together the family, and building this home. That the church would be your home. And what does that look like? Well, there's this concept of an oikos. And we've talked, we talked about this at our missions conference. The concept of oikos would mean the place where you exist in Greek terminology. So, I live at 5118 Huxley Glen Court. That is my address. In Acts 17, it says that God placed me there. God called me to that specific location in this specific time in history. So that's what the Greeks would call your oikos. It's everything that's around you. It's the place where you exist. So my neighborhood, for me, another place of oikos is Bean Traders. Okay? I exist at Bean Traders a lot. It also, Bean Traders has probably been the cause of a little bit of center growth in me, eating all that, drinking all that sugar. But Bean Traders becomes an oikos for me because it's a place of ministry. It's a place of mission. Your workplace your dwelling place, your home, your third place, where you work out, where you drink coffee, where you eat a lot of meals. These are places God puts us in order to be on mission for Him. So He's saying, go to those places and build the house of God. Go and unify, sink, bring, bring in with the kingdom these things, these people. So the mission is looking for stones to build this temple, this home, this citizenship with Christ as the cornerstone. Now, you go back to that pillar for a second. You're going to look at this and you're going to say, okay, so we got the mission pillar. All right? Now, something that Pastor Lawrence and I, we started using the concept of three-legged stools. Now, how many of you ever milked a cow? Yeah, a few of you, Yeah. So you sit on a little stool like this to milk a cow. You got to get up under there, all right, and milk the cow. Well, we, wa we wanted to establish that part of the vision of Waypoint Church can be communicated by these three-legged stools. 
So there are three pillars. We're going to look at these three. So let's look at the mission stool for a second. All right. At Waypoint Church, we believe that God has called us to a specific way of doing ministry and pathways of doing that. Now, we could have under the, under the orange mission, so to speak, we could have a lot of different ways to look at this. So this is one practical way to really consider this. So we believe that God's called us at Waypoint to, to reach out and love refugees. And that is one of our missions. And we are passionate about it. We partner with World Relief. We do a lot of projects in the city with missions. We are, you'll hear at the end, we'll talk about announcing this, and it's in your bulletin that there are opportunities to serve with World Relief this summer to get connected with and help receive and love and help place refugees. And we have refugees among us in our church, in our membership that we love and care for. And God has called us at Waypoint to be a part of that. The middle leg, ISM, stands for International Student Ministry. We are surrounded in the triangle by huge universities. And these universities bring in thousands of international students every year. God has called us to reach international students. God is calling us to continue to engage the nations through the universities. And so God has given us access and opportunity. And then the last leg there, Acts 17 and Oikos, exactly what I talked about. We as a church exist in this city, the Triangle, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, Carborough, Hillsborough, all these cities around us, Cary, Mooresville. Because God has called all of us to be missionaries. So where you live, think about your address for a second. That's your oikos. God placed you there. And that's why it says Acts 17. Look it up in Acts 17. I believe it's 26. Where it says that God determined the boundaries of your dwelling place. He knows where you live. He knows it so much that He actually sent you there. He placed you there. For those of you who are looking to buy a house... That's where God is starting to line up everything to set you there. Now, inside of all this, we want to develop training and an understanding of how to do this. So God brought to our team Joy. I don't think she's here today. I didn't see her. But Joy helps us understand how to work alongside of refugees. And some of you live in neighborhoods that have populations of refugees. God also brought us Danny to help us understand how to work with international students on these campuses. And he has a team of folks who are helping him do that, helping us do that. In our oikos, all of us, we're, we're continuing to learn as a church God's calling, His mission, how we are placed with our neighbors, with our co-workers, in the places that we love, to be ambassadors for the kingdom, building this citizenship, this family, this temple and this building in Christ. So that's what God... Now, I, we could have other things. We could talk about ministries of justice in the city, ministries of mercy, ministries of love and caring. We could talk about our engaging as a church, unengaged, unreached people groups in West Africa, unreached people groups in Malaysia. And now even God 
in His sovereignty is brought together and we are about to send, we are currently in the process of sending our first missionaries to the Middle East. And so we praise God for that. There are so many avenues that God has placed in front of us to do this as a church. And this is what we're passionate about. And this is what it's talking about. So the third work, and i got to finish this up. I don't know how long I've been going because I forgot to look. So God's third prepared work, and this is how I'm going to close. The church is missionaries. Now, I don't know if that was grammatically correct. But Paul really writes a lot of run-on sentences, and that's scripture. So I'm going to roll with it. The church is missionaries. All right? Church equals missionaries. Not buildings, not events, but people on mission, serving Christ. So the marks of a missionary, this is where we kind of close out here in going into chapter 3 and really looking at this. In verses 1 and 13, a missionary knows that they're called. Church, do you know your calling? Do you recognize that Jesus is calling you to this mission? Do you know your king and do you know his heart? In verses 2 through 6 of chapter 3, a missionary knows the gospel. Do you understand God's grace? Which he really starts boiling down here in this idea, verse 6. This mystery, he's talking about the mystery. The mystery of the gospel. What's the mystery? What's so mysterious about it? Is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The nations, through the understanding of the word where he uses apostles and prophets to the nations for the glory of Christ. So a missionary knows their calling. A missionary knows the gospel. A missionary, in verses 7 and 8, understands grace. Of this gospel, Paul writes, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. We understand grace because we've been lavished with it as the church. Let's show grace to our world. Let's show them the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's allow them to understand human sin, but reconciliation through Jesus. The fourth thing is a missionary proclaims Jesus Christ. It's not enough for the church to do just good works. It's not enough for the church to be nice people and to serve among those who are underprivileged or who need help. That's great, and we should do that. But it's not enough. The church is to be a proclaiming people, preaching the gospel, opening our mouths and sharing the good news. So Matthew 28 says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Ethne again, it's the same word, the Gentiles, that they would all hear, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And this is great. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus goes with us on this mission to the nations. The fifth thing a missionary understands is a missionary values the church and its mission. We're not lone rangers. We have each other. We need each other. We work together on this mission. That's why those arrows were there on those pillars. Because the church on mission as a community, making disciples and being discipled ourselves is our passion. This is the vision of Waypoint Church. This is what we're trying to accomplish. If I had thought through 
and knew this day, back in 2000, what I, if I knew then what I know now, and I had an understanding of God's Word and the Gospel and the Scriptures. But I want to tell you something. I am passionate as the pastor of discipleship, as the pastor of mission here, as a pastor building community in small groups. I am committed to and passionate about this church knowing the Gospel. This church growing in community together. This church being discipled and making disciples on mission together. That the nations of God all the nations would hear that we would be equipped for these good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do in Christ Jesus. And a missionary, last of all, praise. A missionary praise. The church is a group of people who have an, an access to God that has been unprecedented through all time. We no longer need temples and altars and priests. We have a mediator between God and man and His name is Jesus Christ. And we have absolute access to Him through His blood. And we have perfect ability to walk into the very throne room of God and make our requests known to Him. With boldness and with confidence we can do this. So church, I challenge you today that we would be a church that marches on this mission as an army on our knees, begging of our Father to give the nations the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And that we together, would what, that what Paul prayed in verses 16 through 21, I now want to pray over, want to, to cast a vision for, and to commission this church with these words. According to the riches of His glory... May He grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, you church, you Waypoint Church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the believers worldwide what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, and I make this our prayer, according to the power at work within us, to you, Jesus, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to take this commission seriously. God, would you fill our hearts with compassion for the nations? God, in our generation... I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, that you will raise up disciples to engage the unengaged, to reach the unreached, and that together we would be on mission to build your citizenship, to strengthen and unify your family, and to raise up a home for the nations. And that you would use Waypoint Church, Lord Jesus, to bring great glory to Jesus Christ through your word and exalt your name among all nations. 
We pray this in the most holy, matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.